Hello everyone, welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. I am your host, David Thackeray. I'm a hospitality professional with two decades of experience in the bar and restaurant industry. My pursuit in this podcast is to have difficult conversations of our industry and of society as a whole. My son was bullied at school because of, you know, ethnicity. You know, you think it's a modern world, you're in New York, how can people, but they're still doing it. But what had happened was it, it woke up all the stuff that happened to me as a kid. Being picked on all the time, you're playing stickball with your friends and you beat them and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're the spick, get out of my country. And you're like, oh, yo, what happened? I thought we were friends. You know, all of a sudden I'm other and you realize, oh, wow, they see me as other. I didn't realize, I didn't see myself as other, but now I know for sure. And then, and then I started like analyzing all the history I was reading. I go, wow, if, if our Latin contributions were in history textbooks, they wouldn't say things like that, like get out of my country. I mean, because Latin people are the second oldest ethnic group in America after Native Americans. We're the only ethnic group that has fought in every single war America has ever had. And we're the most decorated minority in every single war. And I'm talking about the American... In the discourse of philosophy, the term otherness identifies and refers to the characteristics of who and what of the other, which are distinct and separate from the symbolic order of things, from the real, from the aesthetic, from political philosophy, from social norms and social identity, and from the self. Therefore, the imposition of otherness alienates the person labeled as the other from the center of society and places him or her at the margins of society for being other. This is what John Leguizamo meant or referred to uh, when uh, he's talking about, oh man, all of a sudden I'm other. Whenever he's playing as a kid and suddenly he he beats the kids at playing stickball. And I have my own experience of that because growing up in part of my life in Puerto Rico, I didn't see myself as different until I came here to the United States. And... In Puerto Rico, we had the same sort of entertainments that you have here. And so whenever I saw movies of the time, I, I, I related to the characters. I didn't see myself as other, right? I just saw that these characters were going through these human experiences that I was like, oh, I can relate to that. Then I come here and suddenly... I don't get to take part on certain things because somehow I'm different. Even though I pretty much shared the majority and the same of the values as people here did. It's just my food was different, my color was different, the way I approached problems were different. Um, and so I became other. And that is a big problem. And one of the things that uh, I suggest for you to do right now is to definitely watch uh, John Leguizamo's uh, Netflix special, uh, The um, uh, Latin History uh, for Morons. Because one of the points that he makes is that if, if, if the contributions of Latinos were in the history books, people wouldn't dare to say the crazy shit that they say to us as far as go back to your country and all that other dumb shit because what you have to understand is that this is part of 
white privilege, which is the history only highlights uh, European contributions to this country and neglects, neglects everyone else's, right? Or completely omits it. Another book, another thing that you should do is uh, get Howard Zinn's um, people history, People's History of uh, the United States. And, um, and then a- another book that you should refer to is uh, Lies My Teacher Told Me. Uh, by John Lowe, I think it's it's the author's name, but it's Lies My Teacher Told Me. Easy to, to find. And they he goes by the, the two things. One, he starts the book by talking about how stupid the the system and the, the method of getting a book into uh, a school is because these people that are in charge of deciding what schools, what books uh, school children have and I'm talking about first grade to 12th grade uh, these people don't even read the book they, it just depends on the kickbacks that and contributions that the um, publisher makes to their campaigns or uh, if it if it fits into the political stance of that particular I think it's senators uh, uh, congressmen in, in the state that, that make those decisions and they have very little understanding of what the books are, but yet they're the ones in charge of deciding what goes into these history books and what history books are allowed uh, first through 12th grade. That is the reason why a lot of people, if you have uh, taken college at the very least, the first two years of college where you have to take all your basics, is usually pretty mind-blowing the things that you come to find out. You go through your entire life believing that the world is a certain way and then you get to college and you have um, a professor that wants to really teach and gives you the whole context of what history is and is mind-blowing and to some people makes them feel threatened some people that that uh, benefit from the status quo of uh, feel threatened by the fact that this belief that only Europeans made sizable, significant uh, contributions and sacrifices to build this country is a farce. They didn't do it alone. It's something that was um, a huge collective of uh, people from a lot of cultures, a lot of backgrounds. And that is very important. And to all of you Latinos, this is critical to your psyche. Because many of you, if not all of you, have had grown up with and existed and lived and built your lives and your families on these ideas of other. That somehow you should be grateful to be here because you're not worthy. And that is a farce. That is not true. Latinos have been here from the very beginning. We've had huge sacrifices and this is something that I have had to really uh, make a stance on myself being Puerto Rican because people oftentimes think that what we uh, have in Puerto Rico, the stance of being citizens and the, the, the benefits that exist in Puerto Rico are just because the United States Congress is just being very generous with us. And that is not true when in the war of 1898 with Spain, the United States, when they took over the Philippines, Guam, uh, Puerto Rico, and Cuba, 
um, you know, for Puerto Ricans, we didn't have citizenship until World War One, And the reason we got citizenship was because they wanted us to go to war. And what our leaders said is like, we don't, you can't draft us. We're not citizens. That's not the way the law is. So they made us partial citizens in order to draft us to World War One. When World War Two came around, basically the same conversation came up. And it's like, you keep, you know, we keep going to war for you and you keep treating us like second class citizens. And so we won full citizenship. And it wasn't until I believe it's 1933 whenever we got full citizenship. And so the price of our citizenship has been paid uh, with blood, the same as anyone that wants to say, oh, well, Europeans came here and they fought for this land and all that other kind of shit. It's like, well, we did too, right? And that's not even really putting into the context of, well, there was a genocide in order to take this land. And that, that's a conversation for, for a different day. But right now, I'm talking about the contribution contributions made by uh, Latinos throughout the very beginning of this country. And the way that we're treated and, and our neighbors are treated, uh, it's, it's made to strike at your psyche that you're not worthy of the generosity of being allowed into this country or to live here even though you were born here i can't tell you how many people i come across that have that mentality to where you know I should just be lucky to be here and it's like, oh, where were you born? Oh, I was born here. Where were your parents born? Oh, they were born here too, you know, in the valley. The fuck are you talking about then? Right? So, take a look at the Netflix uh, special. I'm going to put a link to the website for his show, which has the reading list um, by which uh, helped him put together uh, that show. And he goes through a lot, uh, tons of it. all these horrible things that happened to him in Rikers or when he was locked up and all these different things and then later in life I realized that he was the same Corey from the Central Park Five well, now the exonerated five now the exonerated <laughs> yeah. I like exonerated that terminology five. yeah 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 I like that better. Powerful work, Corey Wise. Corey yeah, Wise, Corey yes, Wise. yeah. Uh, powerful work uh, you've been doing, John, and then even uh, this North American tour, Latin History for Morons. Uh, let's play this clip real quick that I thought was really interesting. Something you said. It blew my mind when I found out that we Latin people had helped out in the American Revolution. Ten thousand unknown Latino patriots fought out of a total of 80,000 American troops. That's one out of eight. And some of us are generals. And Cuban women in Virginia sold their jewelry, their hoop earrings and their door knockers <laughs> to feed the patriots. But the illest Latin hero I found for you was this General Bernardo Galvez. And this homie donated $70,000 worth of weapons to George Washington. So we also financed that war. So we too are the sons and daughters of the American Revolution, my man. They didn't teach us that in the history books no. I read, man. I come on, OQ. Come on, what's that about, man? One out of eight? Like, they did not teach us that no. in our American history books. It's crazy. And, and Galvez, the guy I was talking about, that general, 
He had an army of 3,000 Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Mexicans, freed slaves, and Native Americans, and, and they kicked the British out, out of Texas, mm -hmm. Louisiana, and, and the Panhandle. He yeah. was like the George Washington of, of the South. Yeah, and they don't... And they, they, there's no credit. Where's that, where's that credit put? I mean, but you know, it's a power grab, obviously. It's, uh -huh. it's, it's a way... If, if, if you put the, these facts into textbooks, then you have to respect these people. Then you have to give them offices in government, and then you, and then you can't take away their lands, or you, or you can't take away their homes. Uh-huh, and that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's about power grab. I mean, that's why black history isn't in, in those textbooks the way it should be as well. Uh-huh. Okay, so just a quick note on what he just said about this uh, Galvez uh, general. He gave $70,000 worth of weapons towards the American Revolution's uh, effort, right? That's about, that's over $2 million worth of weapons in today's dollar. Not a small contribution at all. So this past week, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, died. And... Um, she was the Supreme Court Justice who made a lot of headway for women's rights. Um, she kept herself very busy throughout uh, multiple decades to make a, a statement, but more importantly, actually to change the policies and the laws that dictated women. And she was able to do that to a, a, a significant degree. The reason why was one of her quotes, right, which was, you know, fight for the things that you that you care about. And that makes me think, because this past week we also had Liquor.com uh, do a, a, a blunder, or at least get called out for, for one, which was they had a Latino um, Heritage Month, Latino, Latina. But they call Latinx, which most of the Latinos I know do not use the Latinx, um, whatever, adjective, whatever you want to call it. And, and, the, and the reason I say whatever you want to call it, because it's not something that is in our vernacular. It's just somebody else came up with it. Um, you know, some people say it was just. For white people who don't know how to designate Latino, Latina, or anything like that. And, and, and I, the reason I rejected, by the way, that term is because the Spanish language is the Spanish language. And in the Spanish language, we have a feminine and a masculine uh, designation for objects in, in addition to people. And that's just the way the language is, right? If you want to speak in our language, then you learn that, Okay. Anyways, you want to you use Spanish language words, then learn the language. So then they featured someone who is not Latina, who happens to have a bar that features or focuses actually in uh, Latin flavors and, and Latin spirits. Um, it's a Ivy Mix. She has a Leyenda in, in New York. Very nice bar. Um, good cocktails. Great staff. And they uh, featured her as uh, uh, for Latino Heritage Month. Now, along the way, I think she should have been talked about or she should be part of the celebration. But I believe that what the argument was that she was featured 
in in a place where in place of someone else that was that could have been a Latino. Now, granted, she has a book coming out. She has um, a lot of coverage because being the founder of Speed Rack, she um, has a bar in New York. Having a bar in New York is is an event in itself. Having a successful bar in New York means you're you're pretty badass, right? So all those things, great. But the point of having a Heritage Month is to focus on the people of, of that heritage. And the reason why I say specifically people, not just the culture, is because it's the people that make the culture. So to go in and feature someone who's not, who's, who's passionate about the, the, the culture, who, who has been working with it for a while, but is not someone that, number one, already has a lot of coverage because of some of the things they've done because of who they are at this point. And, and two, um, it sort of, it sort of makes this implicit statement that there aren't enough Latinos or Latinas doing great work in this industry to, to have a whole month overflowing with Latinos and Latinas in, in this, uh, in this celebration. And so it's become a thing. You can find it. You might be able to find it on Instagram. I don't know if they delete their shit. Uh, they they do delete some uh, one of my comments because it's just. Uh, I just asked, you know, if if they had an explanation for for Latinx, and they didn't. I mean, I did use. I did refer to Ligo.com as Chad, because that's the way it seems. It seems like this whole thing started because they didn't have any diversity at the table. They had some diversity at the table. Someone who speaks up for themselves, then this probably wouldn't have happened. But then I get into this back and forth with someone on there, a bartender, industry guy, and in this process of going back and forth, he keeps he keeps asserting that no one was slighted, that this is not a problem, and the guy is white, right? And I'm like, okay, you can have that opinion, but it doesn't mean that. No one was slighted. You can believe that if you want, but you're not making things better, number one. And number two, then this is not your your fight. This is not your, your argument. For you to want to show up here and say nothing is happening, nothing to see, move along, then that's just wanting to cover up what happens, has been happening and, and happens often, right? Which is someone else wants to speak for us, for the Latino culture. It ends up being white people most of the time. And the reason I believe that that is, is because uh, Latinos have, have, in the previous generation to me, they got used to being second-class citizens. They worked very hard. They did the right things. They they earned their place. And then came uh, my generation. And some people that I know, Latinos, they just accepted that same second-class citizenship and other of us didn't and we've always been those are normally the latinos that will talk to you about you know the the way that our culture and this culture here in the united states misunderstand this culture here in, uh, in the united states misunderstands us and then our culture has got some implicit very uh, slight nuanced racism in that if you look at telenovelas, you know, uh, soap operas in Latin America, and you look at all the media, is mostly uh, white-looking Latinos. 
And so whenever people see dark-skinned Latino, then those are your workers. You know, you go to the restaurant and bar industry and people working in the kitchen, they're mostly Latinos. Any kind of, I don't care how high-end your, your French restaurant is, uh, there's going to be some Latinos back there uh, at your saute, right? And in Japanese, it, it doesn't really matter. It's, we, we are there. And so, but that's the perception, right? To have someone of color in from Latin America be the voice of um, anything, it's perceived to be some sort of uh, labor uh, movement, not the person reviewing uh, high-end cars or high-end liquor or uh, speaking for the uh, the industry. It's always a, a second. We're always playing second fiddle. And the thing is, is like a lot of Latinos have gotten used to that and they won't even say anything about it. They're okay with someone else doing voicing the the concerns and voicing the the culture. And in part because it's, uh, that's what the parents taught them. The parents taught them don't make any trouble. Right. Stay out of trouble. Don't make any waves. Just, you know, stay in your lane and don't ever uh, call attention to yourself. Because that's what they're that's the world that we're accustomed to. Think about all the, the, the immigrants now during this administration, what they're teaching their kids. Right. I would imagine I would hope that some of them are teaching them that you need to fight for your rights. While I know that some others are saying you need to just find a very, very shadowy lane and stay there. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of people that are in their 40s and 50s that, that think that way. So the thing is, is that this guy that I'm going back and forth with seems to have this idea that he gets to decide whether someone was slighted or not, whether there was a... a a poor handling of a situation or not because he's saying well ivy has been able to do these things for the latin culture so that's good enough for me that's fine you're a white guy it doesn't matter to you but the minute that it becomes someone gets so adamant about establishing what is and what is not wrong on matters that do not pertain to them personally then I find that suspect. It's the same thing as whenever guys, men, want to say, no, no, women women are doing fine, okay? Women like the way that things they, they are. And so to any woman that speaks up, then you just, you, you're just playing the victim. You're, you're, you're just causing trouble. And that is not the case. And that's another term, by the way, that often gets used. Oh, you're just playing the victim. You're victimizing yourself. No. I'm voicing my discontent with the situation. And by voicing your discontent with the situation, it is often said, you're victimizing yourself. That's manipulative propaganda that has existed in in media for, for as long as I can remember. And the thing is, is you, Latinos, need to start speaking for your own for yourself okay you got to stop 
with this mindset that was put in your head by most, a lot of Latino parents, which is, if you're not going to do it right, then don't do it. If it's not going to be perfect, then don't waste your time. The process is the teacher in some things in life. And you need to be able to mess up some of these things and be okay and just move on and keep doing it. But then comes the other part, right? Where you have the Latinos that um, are okay with the way things are because they're comfortable in the status quo. Now, they're comfortable because no one bothers them or they're comfortable because they have certain level of privilege because a lot of times I come across people that will tell me, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Colombian. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I start speaking Spanish to them. and like, oh, yeah, I don't speak Spanish. Well, my mom is from Colombia and, you know, I used to eat plantains when I was growing up. And, and I'm thinking to myself, it's like, that's not being Colombian or Puerto Rican or Mexican or Venezuelan or any other Latin culture. You know, whenever you, you don't speak the language, you barely eat any of the food um, and you're not involved in the culture. Then that's that's not it. I, I understand. I mean, if, if you were born and raised here, I get it. I understand. I'm not, there's no judgment in that. But don't perpetuate yourself as a person of the culture whenever there's so much of it that you have no clue exists. And that's kind of the point about these people that are not from a particular culture. You know, let's say I decide that, you know, uh, I like bagels and, and, and matzo balls and, you know, Yom Kippur, you know. And I know very little of it, what Wikipedia has taught me of these things. And then I so then imagine that some magazine, uh, some newspaper, some uh, liquor.com-isk um, publication wants to feature me as a representative of the Jewish community. I mean, how insane does that sound? And the reason it sounds insane is because it is insane. It, it, there are plenty of Jewish people that can speak for themselves that are accomplished. And the thing is, is like whenever you put yourself in that position to where certain culture is being featured, like a Latino, Hispanic Heritage Month, and you're the one they're speaking for that, then you are making yourself the representative of that. And if you're not of that culture, then you shouldn't be doing that unless there's no one else. But what I'm saying is, there are more than enough people to fill an entire month, an entire year of Latinos and all the work that we do in this industry. So that failure by liquor.com shows a lot about the sort of table that they sit around and discuss these things. And this is nothing new. I mean, whenever I joined the, uh, whenever I started, I wanted to do the craft cocktails in this industry here in Houston. It was the same thing. It was very difficult. I had to actually leave the city, so to speak, in, in, in competitions to learn from people from outside of, of, of this city. And it was a diverse group and it was great. And I owe a lot to those people. But there's also that part where Latinos are afraid to speak up. And that has to change. I mean, if, if, if the last four years haven't taught us anything is that no one gives a shit about what happens to us. I mean, look at what's happened at the border. Anyways, 
without getting into the politics of this presidency, what I want to make sure that you understand is that you have to speak for yourself. No one is going to do it for you. Actually, someone is going to do it for you. And what they're going to end up doing is uh, presenting someone that something that is not genuine. And the reason for that is because there's a certain way that you view things as a Latino, right? As a Latina. There's a certain way that you grew up. And that comes across whenever you're talking about things that belong to you or experiences that you have in different places. Those, those are very unique. So although other people are more than, more than welcome to participate in our culture, it is also a matter of when someone is going to represent this culture, it needs to be us. But then, why is it that it's so easy for people not of this culture to represent us, in particular white people? Why? Because white people like to consume what white people produce. And that sounds racist. I know, I get it. But hear me out. In the 20-odd years that I have in this industry, when a black or Latino restaurant manager would go to a table because there was some sort of issue with the food they had a lot less success than a white manager and that success was not predicated on their capacity their ability their comp competence it was actually the fact that those people at the table did not want to deal with someone of color Now you may say, it's like, well, you know, the business has got to do what the business got to do, right? The, the mar this is where that, that, that phrase and that comment, that idea of the market will decide. Same thing with journalism. Oh, if journalists fuck this up, then the market would decide. Okay, let me tell you about the market. It used to be that about three to five percent of the market were bigots so dedicated to their bigotry that they would actually voice it in public. Well... As we have seen in the last four years, that has changed. So now you probably have about a third of the population more than happy and content of expressing some sort of racism, right? Overtly. Now, they may not be saying slurs or things like that, but, you know, they'll use code words as, you know, globalist or urban or, you know, those people just don't have the experience or those people don't really know or whatever it is. But they have deep racial prejudice. So now, a third of, of your clientele is racist and doesn't want to deal with a person of color. So what do you do? You replace all your management with white people. Okay. So what are you now? Are you part of the problem or part of the solution? But you're saying, hey, I got a business to run. Well, that's a very convenient excuse. Harsh. I get it. Yeah. I, I'm calling your hard work and investment convenient i get all of those things but it does this is the, the this is not a chicken the egg type of argument or mentality this is the chicken comes first and so you have to make those changes because then people are going to make society will have to now The business, again, you're saying, okay, I don't think that I want to do that. That is the reason why policy is so important. And that is the reason why the work 
that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did so incredibly important. She understood that it had to be in, in the law, in, in the law books, that women were equal to men. It couldn't just be some sort of consensus by the current male um, uh, ruling class, right? Because whenever that male ruling class turns over, the ones that are coming might just decide to change their minds. So I want you to think about these things because they are extremely important in the, the day and age that we live in. There is no shortage of information pointing to the fact that we're more divided than ever. There's no shortage in information that there is more animosity and hatred towards one another than now. And you might think, hey, you know, then why add to that fire, right? By just wanting our own Heritage Month to be only people of, uh, of, of Latino culture. And the answer is very, very simple. Because in this climate of hatred and animosity, that boot is not going to be near your face. It's going to be right on your throat. So either you stand up now or you end up with a boot on your neck because you're already on your knees. But I grew up in Queens, so I had to run. <laughs> and I ran all the way to Broadway, yo. <laughs> and you know how they say people that awards mean nothing until you win one? Well, it's true. This means a lot to me because it validates my work in the theater because in order for me to make it in theater, I had to create my own parts. Otherwise, I was just going to be relegated to playing the gangsters, the janitors, the drug dealers. But we land people are so much more than that. And theater has allowed me to be much more than that. And you know why? Because there are no gatekeepers in Broadway because all you have to write is write a great freaking story. And if you write it, they will come. And if you write it for Latin people and people of color, they will come too. I'm not done yet. And it's even more important with Latin people because we are the least represented minority across all media. That's why theater has always been my sanctuary because this pervasive exclusion stops there. And it stops here tonight. And every night I was on Broadway because thousands upon thousands of Latin people showed up and paid unreasonable prices <laughs> just to be able to see themselves reflected back on one night they could feel someone was talking about them to them. My hope is that someday our stories won't be the exception but the rule, that I will live to see a Broadway with our stories written by us, for us, and for all. Tonight, I stand on strong shoulders that came before me, just as others will surely stand on mine. Thank you, American Theater Wing and Broadway League, for this Tony Award. I want to thank Tony Tacconi, the director of Latin History for Morons, one of the great directors in the world who happens to be Puerto Rican. Nell Nugent, first woman producer on Broadway. Now, to all the non-Latinos, I understand that a lot of you are, are appreciative of our culture, 
Um, I have I have black friends that that love salsa and they dance it better than me. <laughs> um, I know white people that cook killer uh, rice and beans, you know, Latin style. Um, and that's that's all good. That's actually that's the the beauty of cultures, right? It's something that we we share with one another, and it's wonderful when someone else wants to learn and 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 be able to take part in that and give you their 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 effort into trying to to represent your culture. But out of all those people that I know, none of them are trying to replace me when it comes to matters of the. Uh, of culture of Latin or Latinos, they always default to either not saying anything or asking me. And not, I'm not an expert in Latin studies. I'm not, but I did grow up in Latin America, and I've always stayed true and close to my culture. I've never stopped speaking Spanish, even though when I went to school here in Texas in the early '80s. Um, Speaking Spanish in public was disgusting. Like people looked at you like you were you were nuts. Like you know, what are you doing? Why are you why what are you doing? Making this air air that I breathe so filthy with your language. That was the sentiment, and that didn't change who I was, in the sense that I didn't stop speaking Spanish whenever I needed to, to whomever I wanted to, and so. When my friends ask me about things that have to do pertain to Latinos, then I give them a perspective that that is genuine, right? Not the perception of it. And also, I've had experiences whenever being in 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 situations in other states where people have never met a Puerto Rican, and all they have is some Puerto Rican in their head that they saw in a movie or on a, on a TV show. Right. And I can actually appreciate that more because to a degree, right? Sometimes screenwriters, uh, you know, only know how to write criminals when it comes to people of color. But beyond that, right, I can appreciate that because that actors, that Latino actors interpretation of us is like, okay, so I, I grew up, I know people like that, right? I grew up with people similar to that, but that's not me. You know, that's not, that's, uh, I'm not in that pigeonhole. You know, it's sort of like uh, every white guy that, that you meet is going to be like uh, Edward Norton in American History X, right? No, that's, that's not the way it is. Um, but it is extremely important that you just listen to us because in that back and forth that I had with this guy, on, and you can, you, you, um, unless they delete the entire thing, liquor.com on Instagram and just look at the post there where they're apologizing for their uh, mishap. It came out like Friday, I think, on um, Latin X uh, Heritage Month. That's the way they have it. And, you know, I keep go, I go back and forth with this guy and his thing was he just didn't want to accept it. He, he didn't want to listen that this is not for him to decide who's offended and who is not. And and it's not that I'm necessarily offended. I just know that this is bullshit because it's gone on for so long. All the time, there's P 
people wanting to represent Latinos because when they look at us, we can look exactly the same. I mean, frankly, I have friends, I have family that if they don't say a word, people are going to walk up to them and think they're white. Green eyes, blue eyes, light hair, light skin. But because some of them learned English as an adult, they do have, a, they do have a, an accent. Right? And then all of a sudden things change. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't really matter. But sometimes I can see the change. The same as my experience bartending and having a great conversation with white couples. And then all of a sudden I turn around and say something to my bar back in Spanish. And then they don't want to talk to me anymore. That shit is obvious. I mean, some people will waste the time trying to say like, well, you really know why. You don't know what happened. It's like, shut the fuck up. Okay. I know exactly what's happening. And the thing about it is that the entire country and the entire world now knows too. Because a lot of the people that you thought were cool, who wouldn't think like that, or who wouldn't do those things, ever since uh, 2016, you've seen it more and more. So the point here is we have our own voice and it needs to be heard. And you're, you are the one that has to voice it. And I'm talking to my Latinos. It is your responsibility to make sure that people hear you. And again, I don't want to make anyone feel excluded because I have very, very good people, good friends, people that I care about that I may not see often anymore or haven't seen in a long time, but I know how they felt at one time towards my culture. And I have a deep appreciation for those feelings that they have for my culture. But at the same time, I'm not going to go and try to represent them and their culture just because they have a love for mine or just because I have a love for theirs. No. I'm going to default to is whatever you say. You know, however it is that you feel about it. And in part, that has to do also with not just being a traditionalist, but also being a modernist. In that I know how the you're... I know how the older generation of Latinos would handle this situation. But what I'm saying is this is the way to handle the situation now. Again, as the uh, notorious RBG said, you need to fight for the things that you care about. La cultura latina es tan diversa y es, es tan complicada tiene tantos pedazos del mundo que nosotros somos los lo, lo mejores representantes de lo que es este país los Estados Unidos los Estados Unidos es supone que, que se presenta como la mezcla de todo el mundo y la oportunidad para el, el, el que trabaja duro y no hay nada que representa el pueblo latino, más que esas dos cosas. Somos del mundo entero una mezcla individual y a la misma vez trabajamos durísimo. Nothing represents the United States 
more clearly than Latinos. We are an incredibly diverse people with really complex culture. And we are inclusive and hardworking. And those two things are what this country is, is representing itself as. If you come here and you work hard, the opportunities will be there and it will be inclusive. And that is exactly who we are as a people. All right, to all of my Houstonians, there's three bars that I think you should be supporting, visiting, and checking out. And um, they are Latino-owned and Latino-operated. And this is uh, Rabbit's Got a Gun, Julep, and Monkey's Tail. You have to check these out. All of these bars are inclusive. These bars, from the day one, you walk in there and it is diverse by its very nature. I can't say that about every cocktail bar that ever opened in Houston, but I can say that about these three. So, if you're not from Houston, but you're visiting, um, these are three bars that you should check out because I think they're doing something that is uh, stylistically different and maintains the, uh, the craft uh, of our industry. Um, and, uh, and they're just really fun places to be. You know, Cubans, I found out Cubans, you guys speak Spanish, like everything means something, it's very serious. You ask a Cuban a question, bro, where you going? Al baño, coño, carajo, why you wanna know? <laughs> Just asking, dude. <laughs> it's like, why is he yelling? I don't know, I don't know. And I found out Puerto Ricans, you guys speak Spanish, like there's a time limit. <laughs> ask a question, hey, bro, what's up? I mean, bro, otro día estaba cogiendo, me estaba platicando que chacha vinito, yo no sé lo que estaba pasando, aquí no más, dame más gasolina. Even Mexicans were like, hey, write that down. <laughs> Quick. Another way is the beverage. The beverage will let you know who you're dealing with. For example, a Mexican's preferred drink of choice is tequila, okay? A Puerto Rican's preferred drink of choice is either donku or coquito, right? And a Cuban's preferred drink of choice is coffee. <laughs> now, let me tell you how I know about this one. So a few years ago, so Martina and I were doing a show at the Improv in Miami, and after the show was over, I was talking to Martina, I said, hey, bro, I said, we got to try out some of this Cuban food everybody's been talking about. It's our first time here. And so we go outside to catch a cab, and when we got in the car, uh, I figured something out, and that is that uh, Cubans come in every color of the rainbow. <laughs> Cubans and Puerto Ricans, you go from really, really white all the way to freaking navy black, just hardcore. <laughs> Wesley Snipes, just dark, scudo. <laughs> Hardcore, you know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't know that there was such a thing as a black Cuban because we get in the car and we're speaking Spanish and this guy turns around and he's black and he's like, Donde quieren ir? Where you wanna go? I'm like, So included in all of the diversity of the Latino culture and Latino community, Hispanic community, there is also a bunch of conservatives. Conservatives that have uh, very extreme views of Latinos themselves, um, immigration and uh, whatnot. Most of those views are very myopic. And, uh, but I want you to, no, I, mean, I acknowledge that 
conservatives, Latinos are a real thing. And some of them are extreme conservatives, uh, you know, like there's a Cuban-American who is uh, a chapter leader or founder, I think it is, of the Proud Boys down in Miami. And his parents immigrated here. And, you know, the thing about it is that a lot of these people the oftentimes tell you, well, yeah, but my parents immigrated legally. We used the legal system. You know, this is we're we're against illegal immigration. Well, no, you didn't, because you got your parents got in a boat and showed up to the shore, and then the United States had no choice but to bring him in because that was the policy at the time, right? And you know, you they make the argument, well Fidel Castro took over, communism, all that other stuff. True. But what about the policies that have created havoc down in Central America and parts of South America? These people that are migrating from these places have had governments that um, were set up by the U.S. That when they had any leadership that was for the, the people to maintain the sovereignty of those countries... Uh, there was a lot of uh, U.S. interference. So the United States created the same conditions or similar conditions, extreme conditions, conditions that are serious enough for these people to make a journey that is extremely dangerous, right? And those conditions are very much the same or, you know, because they make people want to move as the ones that you claim Fidel Castro created in Cuba. So what is the difference? That you are a beneficiary of your circumstance, but you don't want anyone else to be. And that is the thing that is really boggling to the mind for most, is the fact that there's this thin line that is drawn, that is is this Kevlar line that is drawn, in that my situation is different from yours can get deep into this uh, there's a concept there's idea of black blanqueamiento which is you know the the whitewashing of latin america uh, to the degree that you know latin americans work against one another but i just want to say that in in this spectrum of who we are there is also voices that are um, very conservative and very much against uh, any uh, progress by the Latin culture. And the reason I say it that way is because they don't acknowledge the policies that actually keep um, opportunity away from uh, Latinos of a certain look because Latinos with lighter skin tend to do much better as they assimilate and just uh, keep themselves from being too Latinos, which means... You know, don't play your music too much and uh, don't speak Spanish in public and, um, you know, just uh, don't have too much style because, you know, too much estilo this is just makes us nervous, you know, the people in the system because uh, people might actually like it and want more of it. It's a terrible situation to be in that we have to talk about all these things. And like I said at the very beginning of this, I didn't know that there was a difference between me and anyone else until I got here. So it is imposed by these ideas and these policies that make people feel 
that they're better than. And by making someone feel like they're better than, then you normally are doing it at the expense of someone else, making them, making them feel as less than. So the only way to combat that, the only way to put a firm resistance against it is to organize and to make our voices heard and have in order to have a say in what is and what is not. And I'm keeping this very vague because, you know, these things, we don't know how they, they play out. But I, I know this, again, the words of uh, Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg, she said she realized at a young age that the changes to society necessary to have women be equal to men had to be on the law books. It had to be policy. It had to be the law of the land. And that is exactly what we need to do right now. And the fight for our DACA recipients that are, is happening right now, it's extremely important because they, they went through the legal system. And now this administration wants to change the laws to put them on the other side of the law to make it what they did illegal. Remember, legality is a technicality. Once upon a time in California, marijuana was illegal. Now it's not. Once upon a time, marijuana was illegal in Colorado and in Nevada. And now it's not. Just like that. Once upon a time, we had prohibition. The uh, alcohol was illegal. And so, and then suddenly, just like that, it wasn't. It was legal again. So this idea of illegal immigration, one, it has, the, the migration has been created by the, the Monroe Doctrine, and two, illegal, you know, like I said, showing up on a boat in, uh, in Miami is illegal immigration because you didn't get invited. You didn't do any paperwork. You just show up in a, in, a, in a raft. Cool. You got accepted into this country. Cool. You were able to do something with, with that opportunity. Cool. There's tons of other people that had live on the conditions that, that many Cubans thought were uh, unlivable uh, with Fidel Castro that exist in, in many countries in Latin America, mostly Central America. So... This idea of illegal immigration is, um, is twisted. It lacks context. The comedy part of the show is over. This is now a public service message. <laughs> you better make a decision, Claudia, because I'm going to tell you something about a man. If any girl is in this room on a date with a man and you think you can change him, you get that idea right out of your silly little head. You cannot change a man. Pick one you like just the way he is. You like that, sir. You're like, woo! What's your name? Ron. Ron. Ron, you don't want a woman fussing trying to change you. No, is this lady with you? I can tell she's mortificada. <laughs> you can't change a man. I'm going to say it twice because women are stubborn. You can't change a man. Why? Because they're in their simplest form. 
It's like trying to bend a rock. Thank you. Are you offended? Are you offended, Ron, by me saying you're simple? Are you offended in any way? No, because you want your wife to lower her standards and quit nagging at you and let you be the thing that you are. That's right, the man that you am, because men are simple. Why? Because they have outdoor plumbing. <laughs> and it pulls on their lower spine and creates pressure on their medulla oblongata, <laughs> making it impossible to hold a complicated and convoluted thought. <laughs> that could be, that could be, that's a theory. But what... Okay, so I hope that you have uh, found this uh, informative and educational and uh, useful uh, for you, because uh, whether you're Latino or not, um, it is important that different groups have their voice. And when it comes to our voice as Latinos, it keeps getting uh, robbed and uh, appropriated. And this is dangerous because of the le legality of the policies, the laws that are made um, that are, are hurting Latinos. So anyhow, Make sure that you subscribe, give a like, and do all of those great things. Hit me up on uh, social media at uh, Instagram or on Twitter, openbar.space, and uh, check out the website. If you have a smart device, you can listen on Alexa. Um, you can ask for the Open Bar experience. Also, we have our own website, which is openbar.space. And check us out also on your favorite app, whether it's iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. Check it out, The Open Bar Experience. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and keep the conversation going. <laughs>